Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's full court with Fisher and Kay. We just wrapped up a weekend of football, surprisingly enough. Kara, we just had the college football playoff. We had some NFL games as well. And I know that you're a football fan. So tell me what games you watched and what you thought of the CFP. I am. Um, unfortunately, another year, my Lions were not in the playoffs in the NFL, but did catch some of those games going on. Um, I know some Browns fans that were excited with that big win over the Steelers. And then was kind of surprised that Alabama won in such a convincing fashion over Ohio State, but they got that win in the college football playoff. I believe it was Nick Saban's sixth in the last 12 years, national championships, which is just beyond impressive how seemingly every year they're right back in it. Um, so kind of weird to be done with the college football season, but that means, you know, even more emphasis now on the college basketball season. And Jenny, I know you had the G League draft going on as well. Well, before we even get to that, Kara, as someone who does not watch football, I just have one last question. Yes. Why is Nick Saban not coaching in the NFL? I think he just has a machine down there at Alabama. Um, he's kind of just figured out how to make it work. He wins at a high level. Um, obviously, you know, football is the same sport, but like college basketball and the NBA, college football and the NFL are just so different. Um, and he's kind of found, you know, his niche in college football and his niche at Alabama. Um, and like, no matter who's on his staff, what team he has, you can pretty much guarantee that every year they're going to be awesome um this year they just had an insane offense and um they were just able to you know get get another national championship which again for him it's kind of almost every other year at this point but still impressive nonetheless yeah he definitely gets to have his cake and eat it too so i will talk a little bit about the g league draft but i do need to start with this if anyone has never watched, or well, I guess you can't even watch this conference ball, paid attention to a G League draft before, it is not like an NBA draft. Uh, not at all, actually. Uh, and the way I would describe it is, so there's three rounds. Uh, there were 19 picks per round. But in this strange COVID year, you can pass. Um, and you also do not get a pick if you are not going to the bubble in Orlando. So. It was very, very strange for that reason. The second reason, there were big name past NBA guys that were eligible players to be drafted in the G League draft. There was Mario Chalmers. Uh, there's obviously Michael Beasley, Leandro Ball, who's not an NBA guy, but obviously a recognizable name as well. And so you have Lance Stevenson also. So you have these big name guys that are eligible to be drafted None of them got drafted into the G League. A lot of people were saying, well, why wouldn't you pick these guys? And I think I know exactly why. If you are a G League team, part of your job is to bring in young talent that can grow within your franchise and within your organization and help your NBA team. And so why would you bring in 
and again, I think the way the G League draft is kind of structured and the way it is, so many guys have already signed their contracts. Two ways are already decided by now. Who's on the roster for what team is pretty much decided. So whoever is being drafted is kind of like the eighth or ninth guy. And so do you want that eighth or ninth guy to be a, a fringe NBA guy, vet type of player that's been around for a long time and is looking for one last shot to get back in? Or a young guy like an Admiral Schofield who's young and has a ton to offer. And he just played so well in the G League last year. He averaged like 16 points a game, five and a half rebounds a game, two assists. And again, I it's it was super interesting to me. Um, and the more talk and hype the G League gets uh, around like what I also get to do with work, it's it's just super exciting. But the college basketball world is obviously the world that we live in, that we enjoy as well. And we got to talk about the top story, I would say, for the week, Kara. In Texas, they continue their winning, but they had a really cool story happen with Andrew Jones. Yeah, it was actually three years to the day that Shaka Smart announced to Texas that Andrew Jones had leukemia. Um, He ends up hitting a game-winning three with 1.1 seconds left against West Virginia, they were kind of down to West Virginia most of the game, came back, made it a game. And again, three years to the day, which is just crazy. Obviously, such a good story. Really cool for him, too. He um, has a pretty big role with this Texas team that just continues to win. Like you said, they're off to a 10 and one start and he's averaging 13 point four points for about four and a half rebounds. And this is after he missed most of the last two seasons. Yeah, and then we obviously have to talk about Kentucky and Duke. Kentucky, at the time of recording, 3-0 in SEC play, heading into tonight's game against Alabama on Tuesday, January 12th. Duke is 3-1 in the ACC. But I just want to say Kentucky's wins over Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and Florida were genuinely impressive. They got Keon Brooks Jr. back from injury. And I just think he gave them such a lift. I mean, he's kind of one of those electric players. He had a really great dunk uh, from the highlight reel that I had seen. And so they are lucky to have him back. So, Kara, let's get into the updates for the men's AP poll. We didn't have too much craziness in this week's poll. We had Gonzaga hanging on to that number one spot still, followed by Baylor at two, Villanova at three, Texas at four, um, Iowa at five, and then rounding out the top five or the rest of the top 10, we had Kansas at six, Michigan at seven, Creighton, Wisconsin, and then Tennessee is in that um, number 10 spot. We also had a pretty cool story on the women's side um, and what was believed to be the first ever father-daughter coaching matchup in division one college basketball history. Um, Holy Cross's coach, Marie McGarity played they played Army where her father, Dave McGarity, is the head coach. So kind of cool. I know I can't really imagine coaching against my dad. I would probably be a little intimidated just because of all of his basketball knowledge. And then on top of that, him being my dad. I would definitely be the same way. Um, but I think it's one of the coolest stories. And like, how often do we get to see something that like that happen? Um, and I just think it's a great thing. And they'll they'll get to continue playing against each other being in the Patriot League. We got to talk about number eight, Texas A&M over number 13, Arkansas. The Aggies remain undefeated and they out-rebounded Arkansas 41 to 28 in that game, a really aggressive game. Um, and Arkansas's top scorer, Chelsea Dungy, was in foul trouble early, which obviously helped Texas A&M. 
uh, an exciting game. It was. We had um, Nadea Jones had her 34th double double. She had 12 points, 14 boards, and then kind of a couple interesting notes. Um, Alea Wilson, who transferred from Arkansas to Texas A&M, she had a career high of 27 points. Um, and Gary Blair had actually previously coached at Arkansas from 1993 to 2003. So just kind of some interesting crossovers. I love Gary Blair, probably one of my favorite people I've ever interviewed. Um, he is a character and he's obviously been around the game for a very long time. So love that storyline as well. I got to watch Carol South Carolina play against Kentucky, another top 25 matchup. South Carolina ended up getting the win after a three-day COVID-19 pause. First thing I want to point out, Don Staley comes out wearing the WNBA orange hoodie. I just absolutely love it. Obviously, she had a great stint in the WNBA, um, and she's just an incredible woman. And for her to be representing the orange hoodie, it's iconic. I absolutely love it. And then Aaliyah Boston had a huge night. Obviously, Ryan Howard did as well. She had 32 points, seven boards, three assists. Um, but Aaliyah Boston on the winning side for South Carolina had 20 points, 12 boards, seven blocks, and three steals uh, after she had originally picked up two quick fouls. Uh, people were tweeting and saying, Aaliyah Boston and Ryan Howard need to eventually one day play on the same team. They both are pros, pros, uh, although neither of them will be in the WNBA next year again, eligibility reasons um, for how they can be considered for the draft. But Ryan Howard had tweeted something saying like, Oh, like, we'll see. I would like that too. So even though they're on opposite sides right now, one day they might like to play alongside each other. They're both really, really fun players to watch. We'll get to see them go head to head again in the rematch on February 21st on ESPN. A couple of updates to the women's AP poll. Um, Stanford, again, checking in at number one, followed by Louisville, NC State, UConn, South Carolina, Baylor, Texas A&M, UCLA, Maryland, and Oregon. And kind of a cool note, um, Washington State, they upset Arizona in overtime. They were previously the only Pac-12 team to have never been ranked in the AP poll. And this week they checked in at number 25. So a pretty cool accomplishment for them. Love to see it. Love the Cougars. They've only been to the tournament once. And that was in 1991. That was before I was born. Mm -hmm. And they have tied its best league start in program history. So excited to see where Washington State can end up. Most recently tonight, we watched number seven, Michigan, roll past number nine, Wisconsin. That was a game played in Ann Arbor. Michigan um, played outstanding defense. They were passing the ball, getting all kinds of open shots. At one point in the first half went on a 14 to zero run over Wisconsin, really never looked back from that um, with a final score of 77 to 54, just kind of, you know, cementing that they are one of the best teams, not only in the big 10, but also in the country. And we'll get to talk about that with our guest. We are now joined by Alex Rue, digital producer, host of the Take 10 podcast for Big 10 Network. Alex, thanks for joining us. We just watched Michigan beat Wisconsin by 23 points tonight. So let's just get your initial takeaways from that game. Yeah, thanks, Karen, Jenny, for uh, having me. Really uh, honored to be on. And yeah, I mean, that game just wrapped up. And it's one of those, like, if you didn't know, now you know type situations. Um, Michigan had not played toughest schedule to this date. Um, I think there were some questions about whether their 10-0 record was legit. And they, you know, resoundingly answered 
pretty much all of those questions just by dismantling Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin's a very good team. Um, I know, you know, this makes Marquette's win not look quite as good, Jenny. Sorry about Come that. But I'm sure you guys will take it regardless. Um, but I mean, Michigan, you know, you came into the year, you knew a few things about them. You knew Livers was going to be good. You knew Wagner was probably going to be pretty good, but you had no idea that Hunter Dickinson was going to make the impact that he has. You didn't know Mike Smith was going to be as good as, as he's been coming in to replace Xavier Simpson. So it's like pretty much every unknown for Michigan has, has worked out, you know, splendidly for them. And Jawan Howard really looks like he has it rolling. And, and now, you know, you go from talking about Michigan being kind of surprising big 10 to currently, I don't know how you can deny that they're the best team in the big 10. Well, Alex, Michigan is a team with a second year head coach, multiple transfers. And because I work in the G league, I know Michigan fans felt kind of the sting of Isaiah Todd decommitting back in April as well. Plus a strange blend of these newcomers all in a COVID year. And then they have the number one recruiting class coming in. How come they're able to put all of this together and then string together now 11 wins in a row alongside the lack of losses? Yeah, that's the thing is you heard about them missing out on some of these guys. I, you mentioned Todd. I think uh, Christopher went to Arizona State, I believe. Um, and I really think a lot of it has to do with the foundation that, that John Beeline laid in the, in the job that Juwan Howard's doing, um, you know, continuing it instead of cont completely pivoting taking the program in his own direction. Um, I was lucky enough to have Coach Beeline, who works for Big Ten Network now, uh, interview Coach Howard just yesterday. And it was really fascinating to sit in on that and kind of talk, uh, see how Howard has continued some of, you know, that culture at Michigan basketball. And also, like you mentioned, bringing in some of the elite talent that we might not have seen under John Beeline until he developed that talent. He's really blended the previous culture now with a little bit of this new era of Michigan basketball. But one thing that stayed consistent is, is the defense. Um, Beeline, I believe, didn't have great defensive teams early on at Michigan, but they really, really tightened that up as uh, his career went along there. In 2018, they were one of the best defensive teams in the country when they went to the Final Four. And Michigan is, is a great defensive team now. And that was one of the conversation topics that uh, Howard and Beeline touched on was just how much they emphasize defense, they emphasize not fouling. And, you know, now you're, you're kind of seeing uh, those foils come together now. So um, encourage everyone to watch that discussion if they haven't already to kind of see how Michigan has been able to do this and continue their, their excellence between coaches. Um, you can find that on Big Ten Network's YouTube page. So um, just a little plug there. Shameless plug. Absolutely. So Wisconsin, they were slated to finish um, at or near the top of the Big Ten. Like we talked about, Michigan kind of was picked lower, maybe the middle of the Big Ten, if not even lower than that. But they've clearly been one of the best teams, if not the best so far. We still have about two months left of conference play, but where do you see these two teams finishing? Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's still really good. Like, this happens night to night in the Big Ten. Um, you guys watch enough basketball to know that. Like, I feel like sometimes fans that, that don't watch – you know, night in and night out might look at a result and just write a team off. Teams are going to have off nights. Um, I said it, my roommate was watching Rutgers and Michigan State last week and Rutgers was playing really poorly. They're in a tough stretch right now. And I said, look, you know, we, we both went to Illinois. Illinois is going to have the same type of night that Rutgers had against Michigan State. Sure enough, Illinois drops the game to, to Maryland Sunday night. So I'm not worried about Wisconsin. Um, you know, they, they've proven what they can do. They, they had a similar type of result, except they were on the other end of it against Louisville earlier this year. Um, they're, you know, hasn't dropped yet. I don't think the results have 
come through, but they were five in Ken Palm heading into tonight's game. Uh, they're, they're really old veteran team. The joke is like they're older than the starting lineup of the Chicago Bulls. So, you know, that, that says a lot about the state my, uh, my Chicago Bulls are in right now, but it also says a lot about how Wisconsin, you know, is battle tested. They can get through times like this. And, and like, it's crazy because Demetrius Trice, I think is 24. And I didn't even realize that until this year, but like, I feel like I've been out of college forever and, and he's only a few years younger than me. So it's wild. He's a year older than me, which is wild. Uh, but you mentioned Illinois, right? They have a ton of talent. They've been up and down. Some big conference wins, but also some big losses. Baylor, most recently Maryland. How do they find consistency? Yeah, until this last loss against Maryland, you could kind of excuse their other losses. Uh, the Baylor's a fantastic team. That was their first big test. Mizzou, up until recently, um, w- was pretty flawless. And, you know, the, the Maryland game was kind of the first time <clears throat> that you, you really were sit, sitting there scratching your head, like, what just happened to, to Illinois? You know, they didn't put the switch like they have shown they can do. They kind of got down against Penn State. They got down against Northwestern. But they have a lot of talent, and they're able to, you know, like, kind of like great NBA teams do, just flip that switch and, and really take off with it. Um, Rutgers was the other loss that – happened a few weeks ago and now you know that looked pretty good at the time now Rutgers is is definitely floundering a little bit so with Illinois you could kind of excuse everything until now and their slow starts or slow lapses in games hadn't really caught up to them they they, uh, suffered a 19-0 run against Purdue that went against them Uh, I mentioned the 19-4 run against Penn State so I think for them the the main issue is uh, consistency they have all the talent in the world with IO and Kofi I think if you ask Illinois fans to watch every game, the main frustrating thing is that consistency and uh, some careless and sloppy turnovers that really limit them when they're trying to build and maintain runs. So I'm not too worried about Illinois either. I think they still have that, that final four talent, but losing to Maryland at home, not to take too much away from Maryland because they beat Wisconsin um, now beat Illinois as well. They're, they're tough, even though they're not as talented as they have been. Uh, It's the, it's the biggest drawback so far in that big 10 title chase for Illinois so we'll have to see because they can't suffer too many more losses like that if they want to stay up near the top of Michigan especially with how Michigan looks now can't talk about the big 10 without talking about Iowa they only have losses to Gonzaga who looks incredible and then the Christmas Day loss to Minnesota besides Luca Garza um, what do you think the Hawkeyes have been able to do to keep winning what do they kind of need to do to maintain that top tier of the big 10 status yeah, I'm looking at their uh, numbers on Kempom right now, and the defense is slightly better, it seems like, than in recent years. For a while, they were really poor on defense, and it was always like, you know, if they could just get defense figured out, they'll be incredible, because the offense has never been a problem. Garza is the best player I've ever seen around the rim converting, you know, just tough shots, either underneath the basket or awkward positioning, and you pair that with like his his perimeter game and it's pretty much unstoppable offensively so I know you said outside of Garza what can what have they done uh CJ Frederick's been uh a nice weapon for them I think when Spohannon started to come along he had that that good game a couple weeks ago I think it was against uh Northwestern um you know it's really fitting the pieces and and the old saying is like you know there's only one ball well they've been able to distribute that one ball around despite having top scorer in the country and Luca and a lot of other weapons around them. They've also been able to bring in some guys that outside of Bohannon that didn't contribute last year, uh, Jack Nungy and then 
Keegan Murray, who's a freshman, gives them some athleticism, some bounce, um, and really bring them into the, the mix nicely. And, you know, you're always going to have kind of the, the um, mainstays there, like, like Wieskamp and Bohannon's back and, and guys like that. But really mixing that talent together, like with Toussaint, I mentioned Murray, and, uh, you know, I'm running out of names because they have so many contributors, but they're just such a talented team. And as long as they don't lapse like they did against Minnesota, they're going to be in it, I think, in the Big Ten race till the end, too. We're talking about lapses and consistency. And Rutgers is a team that got off to a hot start. They were up to 15 in the AP poll. They've now lost four of their last five. So, again, and I know in the Big Ten, right, it might not be as, as big of a deal to to kind of have these lapses because you know that you can bounce back and have another great game or play another ranked opponent. But what does, what does Rutgers need to do to get back in the winning column and have that consistency? I think they need to get healthy. I mean, they've been really banged up. It seems like every other game, somebody's going down. Um, Baker started the season being, uh, being banged up. And I think we've seen Harper miss, get, miss time, Omaruri's miss time. And they just haven't really been able to put it all together. And now it's kind of costing them. Um, so, you know, I'm looking at their schedule now. They've got Wisconsin next, who's going to be hurt after what we just saw tonight. Indiana, who the advanced metrics like better than I think their record shows. They're in the top 25 uh, in Ken Palm, and it just doesn't get any easier. So, you know, Rutgers is improved offensively for sure. Um, they, they don't turn the ball over. They are now a veteran team, and they, they uh, leadership has – kind of caught up to that culture of toughness that, that coach Peichel instilled there since year one. And for a while, it looked like they were going to put it all together and, and have a you know year that remained at the top of the big 10. Now they're in some adversity. So that's where I think the culture comes in. Um, we know they're a tough team on the court. It would surprise me if they don't get back in this. They have too many talented guys. Peichel's too good of a coach. I think they'll straighten out here as long as they can get healthy. That's pretty much all they needed to do. Um, you know, as far as, writing the ship goes. And I think the results will, will follow. It's obviously been a crazy year in college basketball in the big 10, like we talked about, but maybe nationally, what's been one of your bigger surprises, either a team or a player or just something that's caught your eye. I would say how bad the ACC is. Um, I mean, in the, in the, to be honest, guys, like I don't watch a ton of college basketball outside the big 10 after like, the holiday tournaments and challenges come and go. It's just too much to, to keep track of. So, you know, I, I keep a bird's eye view of it, but it seems like, I mean, I saw Duke tonight not playing well again. North Carolina is better than last year, but they're still struggling. And even though the challenge was pretty close, um, I think, you know, I think it would have been better if Michigan could have played. But uh, it, it's been surprising to see kind of how that conference has fall, fallen off that elite status. Now it's pretty much the Big Ten and the Big 12, you know, and then everybody else. So it's been interesting, um, you know, just to see the, the decline. I don't think it's anything to be worried about long-term. Like, they get too much talent. They have too many good coaches out there. Probably just one of those years. Jenny, maybe, I, I don't know. I've been kind of thinking that the G League drain is, is, is maybe going to become a thing with, with some of these, you know, one-and-done schools. We see Kentucky not nearly as good this year as they normally are. And I don't think it's anything that's going to really hurt the sport. I think it'll just kind of make college basketball – a little more like it used to be with with guys staying a little longer. So uh, I do think there's like a universe where G League and, and college hoops can totally coexist. So that'll be so, something interesting to follow. Um, I don't know your guys' thoughts on that, but the ACC to me is, is, you know, being so soft, I guess would be my biggest surprise. 
Well, because you brought it up, Alex, I have to ask you, if you are an elite prospect in 2021, would you go G League route or would you go Kentucky Duke Blue Blood route? I mean, I think we've seen so many examples of guys not even going Blue Blood, but still having a, a big impact in college basketball. So I'm going to include other schools, you know, besides the Blue Buds in, into the college basketball experience. And it's hard for me to say, you know, with a clear lens here, because I am such a college basketball fan, like I grew up on it. Um, I definitely have some sort of bias tilted toward college basketball. I, I like it better than the NBA just as a product. And I'm not, you know, I can't put myself in the situation of somebody who, you know, might want to get paid right away and might see that as a, a more viable route to getting that bag and getting what they deserve. Um, however, I, I just think you can't discount too much the opportunities that you see uh, that come with the college basketball experience. And Kara can speak to this, like, Kara, how do they treat college basketball players that played for Michigan State, that won Big Ten titles, that made an impact on campus, that, you know, did the charitable work and, and made an impact in the community? That's for life when you come back, right? So maybe one year making your, your 50 grand or 75 grand in the G League Select it's nice at the time, but it's not going to pay off down the road. I think college is an investment that you, that you, uh, the experience that you pursue. It's definitely not for everybody. And, um, you know, it's, it, it is though something that I don't think you can undersell the, the experiences, the lifelong memories and the, um, you know, the, the payback you get on the other end when you do become, one of those household names if, if you're good enough to do so which if you're going to the g league select you probably are good enough to make a big impact in a college campus yeah and i was just going to say i think it's going to be a couple years before it's like truly competing or coexisting however it, it ends up playing out but it really is an interesting thing to see how it will all play out so definitely alex you work with andy at big 10 network andy Katz. he's always doing tier talks so I'll ask you, who do you kind of see in that top tier nationally? Is it just Gonzaga? Is it Gonzaga, Baylor, maybe Iowa, maybe now Michigan? Um, who do you kind of see as the top tier right now in the sport? Yeah, Andy's uh, tier talk concept. I know he was, your, he was a guest on here, right? He, he came on? Awesome. Okay. So it's, it's great to follow in his footsteps and, uh, you know, borrow his, con his uh, segment from Titus and Tate. I will say... Before tonight, I would have said Gonzaga and Baylor in a tier of their own. Maybe Gonzaga even in their own supreme tier, Baylor right below them, and then everybody else. I don't see how you can't put Michigan at least in that Baylor tier at this point. Um, they're so good. They're so deep. They have a good blend of mixed contributors. Until they lose, until they look bad, I can't discount them. So Gonzaga's looked unbelievable. I say I haven't seen much of um, other college basketball teams outside the Big Ten. I have seen a lot of Gonzaga, and they're ridiculous. I mean, with, with Stubbs is probably number one pick. Kispert's really good. Timmy's really good. It's a proven model that now has, like, superstars injected into it there. Uh, they're insane. Obviously, saw Baylor firsthand against Illinois. Their defense is suffocating. They've got a bunch of veteran dudes who know how to, know how to hoop. And, you know, now that Michigan, like I said, is, is – uh, is balling out. I'm going to put them in that Baylor tier and both of them are knocking on the door for Gonzaga, but it's tough because that's, this is what I hate about Gonzaga. They go out West and they, they play in that conference and 
you know, they don't get pushed for two months. And it's like, you know, maybe St. Mary's gives them a game and then normal year they get knocked off by San Francisco or something like that. But like, I don't know. It, it's, I would have a hard time being a Gonzaga fan in, during this time of year because it's just as like night in and night out, you're playing, you're playing bums. So uh, we'll see, but uh, it, it's, it's ironic, isn't it, Kara, that Big Ten is at like one of its best years ever in like crops of teams and they have like nine teams ranked at one point and all these contenders. And then you have a super team in Gonzaga that will probably win the national championship anyway. So you just hope that, in my opinion, a Big Ten team can knock one of them off. You and me both. <laughs> I was going to say, luckily, your cup of tea, and it's a heavily steeped cup of tea, I guess you could say, is the Big Ten. And so we want to do a Big Ten speed round, Alex, if you are ready. I'm ready. All right. Off the top of your head, team you don't want to face right now? Michigan. Team you don't want to face in March? Illinois. And the team that matches up best with Gonzaga? We saw Iowa. I'll take Iowa again. You know, they, they saw him once and um, they have that offensive firepower. And if Gonzaga goes cold and Iowa stays hot, you never know. Best player not named Luca Garza. Jalen Suggs. Are we doing Big, Big Ten only? Big Ten, Big Ten. Okay, Big Ten only. Um, Iowa DeSumo. Coach you'd most want to play for? Hmm. Um, let's go Fred Hoiberg. Favorite Big Ten venue? State Farm Center. And I've got one last one for you. It's just a fun little easy one. Favorite Big Ten team? Illinois. I mean, I, I try to, uh, you know, I try to mask it sometimes on social media. I never want to be biased. I never let my alma mater influence my work, my tweeting, my tone behind the keyboard. But you know, it's no secret that I went to Illinois and uh, I want them to do well, so. I wonder what that's like to not scream about your fandom or tweet about them all the time. Or say so, you're dye your hair because of them. <laughs> it's true, but to each their own. And I think it's a really good thing for you, Alex. Um, so, and I just want to say, I noticed the shirt that you were wearing and I want to say thank you. Um, very well placed, very well done. I saw it in like a little, a little glimpse. I know you're hiding it with the mic, but I just wanted to make sure I gave you a shout out as well. No, shout out to you for everything you've done for the organization. Happy to support it. Uh, got me and my brother wearing them. He was wearing it. We we're just on vacation together. He was wearing it all trip. Um, so really cool thing you're doing. And it doesn't hurt that the, the design is, uh, so sweet. Like, you know, obviously everyone is on board and wants to support a good cause, but when the, the shirt is swaggy, like that just helps it fly I think so I appreciate it even though it's Wisconsin colors which I've gotten some grief for but you know Marquette fans will still I guess be <laughs> no it's got like a supreme vibe to it you know it's yeah pretty cool keep it simple for sure well Alex thank you so much for joining us really really appreciate it and best of luck with everything ahead and that's going on in the Big Ten and beyond yeah thanks a lot guys really cool thing project you got going here as a fellow podcaster Happy to be a friend of the pod. You know, we'll have to uh, get you guys on mine sometime and return the favor. So appreciate you having me on and uh, honored to do it. A thank you again to Alex Rue for joining us. Just a great guy who obviously pays a lot of attention to a lot of Big Ten basketball. So great to get his perspective. Kara, I realized something as we were recording. I did it in the intro and I did it again a second time. 
I'm like young. I'm younger than Trice. Like I'm 23 years old. I I was born after 1991, which is the last time the Washington State Cougars women's basketball team was in the NCAA tournament. Um, but I won't be this young forever. And I'm going to turn 24. I'm going. I don't think I've mentioned this. I'm going to the G League bubble. Um, they are sending me there. I will be there for about a month and a half. And I will turn 24 in the G League bubble. And I have no clue what that's going to look like. But one thing is for sure, I am getting older. So you are getting older. You are not old. And I am interested to see how your birthday will be in the bubble. I mean, obviously a weird year overall. So birthdays have been super different. But like, you know, even more so when you quite literally can't go anywhere and you're kind of, you know, in that bubble. And I do want to point out, I was also born after 1991. So <laughs> what is your birth year, Kara? Are you 95? I'm 95. Yes. Look at this. We're only two years apart. I made it sound like, like I'm some baby and that <laughs> you're ancient and definitely not the case, but yeah, I, I think it'll be good because at the same time, and I told my boss this, I get to be around basketball and mm-hmm. I like get to be in a gym and I get to be like around people who are also being tested, which was it's probably 10 times better than trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do to celebrate. And luckily it's not like a 30th or a 50th birthday, something big that I can just kind of be in, be in the bubble, but outside of the bubble, we have college basketball. Carol, what are some men's games that we are watching this week? We have all kinds of games coming up. We have Texas tech in Texas. That'll be, on Wednesday, we have Michigan State traveling to Iowa on Thursday, Wisconsin and Rutgers on Friday, both of those teams kind of trying to get back in the winning column. Um, Michigan at Minnesota on Saturday, a rematch after Michigan um, beat Minnesota pretty handily in their first matchup. And then Baylor, Texas Tech on Saturday as well. And then another one to keep an eye on, Gonzaga, St. Mary's on Saturday. We kind of talked about how the Zags kind of disappear for a little bit after non-conference play, but that could be a chance to kind of check in on them um, again in their conference play. Kara, I have to ask you, what is the the outlook for the Michigan State against Iowa game on Thursday? It's going to be tough. Obviously, Iowa's one of the top teams in the Big Ten. They have a ton of um, scoring potential all over the place. Uh, Luca Garza, obviously, but then kind of like Alex talked about, they, he named a bunch of names, um, people that can kind of get them a bucket. Um, Michigan State's been playing better defensively, so we'll definitely need to bring that to Iowa City in that matchup. Um, but, you know, no really, no off nights in the Big Ten. Um, teams have been surprising us all over the place, so we'll kind of just have to see what happens. We've got some top 25 matchups in women's college basketball for this upcoming week. Oregon against Arizona. Mississippi State versus Texas A&M, NC State against Louisville, which is probably my biggest pick for game to watch. But then you also have Arkansas against South Carolina on the 18th. Baylor will resume play on January 16th against Iowa State after head coach Kim Mulkey tested positive for the virus. I also think it's really tough when a head coach tests positive um, and how it obviously affects everything else and and how you play and, and what you do. And you still practice and so on and so forth, but um, glad that they will be getting back to it on the 16th. Also want to just mention and send our condolences to Ben Jordan's loved ones. He was a Kentucky baseball and basketball player. Um, 
I saw that the Kentucky men's basketball team actually came out in 33 warm-up shirts, uh, which was Ben's number. He passed away earlier this morning. So just sending all of our condolences and well wishes um, to all of those affected by this. Absolutely. We will wrap up today with our final four segment. Um, kind of, I know it's my new year's resolution. I've heard a couple of different people's is to read more in 2021. Something that maybe I say every year, but this year trying to be more serious about it. Um, I was telling Jenny, I even have an app now to like kind of keep track of books I want to read, books I have read. Cause you know, you get recommendations all the time and then you can't remember what they were or if you started reading them or all that. So we'll do our final four of books to read in 2021. Um, I'll start us off. My first one is the Game of Thrones series. <laughs> so I watched the TV show. Um, obviously they're based on the books. I do have the first one that I've started a couple times. It's just honestly so big. I never get through it. And by the time I come back to it, I have to restart it. So that's on my list. Um, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed has been highly recommended to me from multiple people. Um, they say it's a pretty fast read. So that's probably my next book I'll be getting into. Another recommendation from my sister, actually, um, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Um, my roommate actually also read it recently as well. And then lastly, uh, I actually realized I've never read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. And I know a lot of people absolutely love that book, um, <laughs> Jenny included. Yes. And I was just talking to somebody about that the other day and I'm like, I've never read it. So that's also on my list. Yeah, I read it actually like around a year ago at this time. Um, I was on vacation and a friend of mine had lent it to me. Shout out Kelsey Mahoney, who worked at the NCAA with me. And I read it. It's a super interesting book, but I would say there are some parts that got a little bit slow for me. And at the very end, I absolutely loved it. He, he tells a story about a Rolex and LeBron James. And it's just a, a very cool story and gives you a lot of insight to Nike. So you're going to learn a little bit about me and reading. So I, I tell people I love to journal. I love to write. Therefore, things I love to read are I love to read poetry. Honestly, um, I've got my essential Bukowski. I've written I've excuse me, read The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath and a bunch of her poems. Um, I'm kind of all over the place with it, but I, I kind of blame my AP English literature teacher in high school who really got me into like certain kinds of, of poetry and kind of that genre. But on my book list, the first one is A Little History of Poetry. Apparently this is like a thing that the guy does, John Carey. Um, he has these like A Little History of whatever. And so this one's A Little History of Poetry. Got at a bookstore in Brooklyn and wanted to make sure that I read it. Atomic Habits. It's going to be my second try at reading this. Got it about a year ago. Got like 20 pages in and I hated it. And this is always the dilemma, right? Like, do you keep reading and hope it gets better? Or do you set it down because like you should only consume things that you really want to? Um, so I don't know. It's like if you get a bad meal, do you send it back or do you just suck it up and eat it and hope it gets better? Because <laughs> you'll still be full at the end, I guess. Um, so I'm going to take a second stab at Atomic Habits. Third one is 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think. Um, it's this thick guy. I know that we don't always have visual with the, with the podcast, but Kara, that way you can see it. Um, it's super interesting because I feel like I'm reading 101 books, essays, and one. Um, and one of my favorite ones is about the knowing doing gap. I actually opened it up 
um, just because I, I think it's super interesting and I've like starred and circled all this stuff on it, but I think it's relevant right now because between the knowing doing gap, gap is what this essay is about is suffering. Um, so between knowing to do something and not doing something or doing it is, I don't know. I, I think the best way to explain it is like, if you know to do something and you don't do it, uh, it's a lot of suffering. If you know better and you don't do it, it's ignorance. So just kind of trying to like put the two and two together. Um, and I think that's like a big motto for 2020 for me. Last one is get out of your head. Um, I had someone send it to me, like a family friend sent it to me and it, it looks like a quick read. So it's just my last one on, on my list. Um, but I'm excited. Kara, are you a big reader? Like, do you normally read or find time to during the season? Um, I am. I would will admit like the last couple of years, I have not been reading as much as I would like to. So I think that's why I'm like, you know what? This year, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep track of what I read. Actually, just finished um, Nick Nurse's book, which I thought was super fascinating, kind of a good time to basketball, just like his whole story. Um, you know, you never really know what someone's whole story is until you maybe sit down and read it or hear an interview. So that was awesome. And I've also heard really, really good things about that 101 essays that'll change your life book. So that's the title, but um, I will have to borrow that from you after that. For sure. And I will just say, as long as we're talking about basketball books, I recommend this to everyone. It's called the city game. It's by Pete Axtham, um, hmm. who's obviously a famous sportscaster. Um, and the only reason I knew what the book was is I won a scholarship at Marquette that was named after him. And I started looking him up and then I saw that he wrote this book and he talks about how basketball is a city game. It's actually this really interesting and it ties into Al McGuire, who obviously famous coach at Marquette from New York. And it's something I really enjoyed, but I, I definitely recommend it to people as well. And of course, basketball junkies are listening to this podcast. So why not hand them some other basketball content that they can consume? But another episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay is in the books. Thanks to Alex Rue for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Tom Phillip edits the show and we always appreciate his contributions. And please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and we'll be back every Tuesday with Full Court. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. See you next week on Full Court with Fisher and Kay. Full Court is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.